0: You're listening to Diversity Matters, a podcast about raising awareness and education through thought-provoking discussion, opinions, experiences, and inspirational stories from the complex world of equity, diversity, and inclusion. Here's your host, Mike Seeley.
1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Diversity Matters podcast show, where we embrace all people from different backgrounds, perspectives, and experiences. I am your host, Mike Seeley, and each week I enjoy an open and frank conversation with a different guest on a topic related to diversity, equity and inclusion. My guest this week is Mira Somji, a data and analytics enthusiast with academic training in gender and race inequalities, She has a master's degree in gender studies from the London School of Economics, and has also worked as a researcher into business, human rights, and gender for the United Nations Development Programme in Asia. Mira trained as a strategy consultant before joining Smart Expo, a data and analytics company for the events industry, where she was a senior manager leading their customer success team. Mira is currently the co-founder of Clusivity, a company that helps organisations take a data-driven approach to diversity, equity and inclusion. Mira, welcome to Diversity Matters.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Mike. I'm really happy to be here.
1: A real pleasure. Um, I want to quickly start because I mentioned that you have a degree in, in gender studies from LSE, but you've also studied at Cambridge, studied politics, psychology and social sciences quick question around that. So when you were studying, tell me, what was it you wanted to be? Did you already have kind of a career choice and direction? Or were you not sure?
0: Wow, great start. I didn't see that question coming. I'll have to cast my mind back a few years. But you're right, you know, my, my first degree was really broad. It covered politics, it covered psychology, it covered sociology, it covered history. And in complete honesty no i did not have a, a career roadmap ahead of me at all i mean i was so fortunate at that point to be able to to really follow what i loved to study and i had teachers and parents that encouraged me to just to just keep exploring that i had absolutely no idea where it would where it would take me and so <laughs> <laughs> after university is when i with, with my career hat on thought let's try consulting i'd heard that it was very good to help you <laughs> help you figure out what you wanted to do and whether or not you would enjoy moving more and more into business so in short no
1: <laughs> that's Interesting. The,
0: that's the easy answer for you
1: yeah. now a, a, a quick question because i know and many people who have friends and and people i've spoken to particularly with Black and Asian friends and colleagues, most of them have had parents who have had a direction for them, either a doctor or a lawyer or an accountant. Was that the same for you?
0: Oh, I'm so glad you asked because just the other day, I was invited to speak at a humanities evening at at a school in London called um, Henrietta Barnett School. And... I was asked exactly this by, <laughs> by a lot of South Asian parents sort of saying, you know, we really want our, our daughter to become a doctor or something with a bit more career stability and security. And you're up there saying, you know, continue to study humanities and you've had two or three careers before, before you're 30. How, you know isn't that risky or you know should we be worried about our, our daughter going on to do that and so in my experience I was so again I, I can't I can't express to you just how how fortunate and grateful I am to to have be in the circumstances that I am my parents certainly encouraged me to go for <laughs> something with a bit more job security <laughs> yeah. but In this day and age, they believed it when I told them, and my teachers told them that that first degree is all about opening doors. It's all about opening windows and opening opportunities, and so long as you are hardworking, a little bit creative willing to adapt and, and and constantly learn new skills and make the most of what what's in front of you there are opportunities there are ways to craft a career that you would find very fulfilling so i didn't feel that pressure hugely but i definitely had to i had to convince my parents a little bit
1: <laughs> <laughs> great uh, so from there you trained as a strategy consultant just explain a little bit more about what that <laughs> actually is, what it means.
0: Oh, it's great! It, it's oh. it's a it's a fun little <laughs> uh, life hack, I'd say, because being a strategy consultant, men working on project after project, helping businesses make decisions around what market they wanted to enter, what geography they want to grow into, what new products they want to launch, how to improve experiences for their customers, um, potentially buying another company. So all of these strategic decisions that businesses have to make, they'll often hire a consultant and a consulting company to help them. So you've got to imagine me sort of fresh out of undergrad, hungry to keep learning about what business means, what businesses do (laughs) and getting to work on these short term, very intense projects and just rapidly learning a huge amount and getting incredible coaching and mentoring from, from, you know, my my managers around me. So it really, for me, felt like a three-year crash course in how to grow a business.
1: So, Mira, you spent a couple of years at Plural Cutting Your Teeth as a strategy consultant, <laughs> and then you moved on to Smart Expo. Can you explain a little bit about how that all came about?
0: Yes, I can. Um, it was, you know, I got, I got extremely lucky that at the point in time when I started, you know, reevaluating a bit about my work-life balance and and what you know, my mental health. And, you know, you said at the beginning that you want these to be sort of quite frank conversations. So I'm being pretty open with you here that the the lifestyle of a consultant didn't feel good for me at that moment. Mm, yeah. And some colleagues from Plural were were breaking away to set up Smart Expo to really help. Event organizers, in particular, make the most of their data and make data-driven decisions in a more scalable way. So I I hopped over and joined them and 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 learned all about the the wild and and wacky world of data and analytics software.
1: Great, and you mentioned that so there were colleagues at Smart Expo that were also yes. plural. So I mean, I know <laughs> Andrew right. for sure. Um, I'm, I'm assuming it's Andrew because he he yep. had to set up Smart Expo.
0: You know uh-huh. us well. You know us well. It's <laughs> the it's the usual suspects. You know, it was it was Andrew Carney, um, as well as Johnny Baines, and and a, and a team of other sort of consultants, and and um and then we grew a lot with colleagues in Ukraine. Actually, that's where most mm. of our software engineers were based um, in, in Smart Expo. So it was incredible. I got to sort of travel in and out of Ukraine and Kiev very often.
1: Oh wow! So tell me, um, Smart Expo, what? why was it set up what was the the goal of the company what was the, your kind yeah, of target yeah
0: it was it was amazing actually the uh, it was very niche and i think that when it comes to data providers people do like to work with real experts in a particular area and that that's what smart expo was it we were real niche providers of data and analytics for event organizers and then we helped we helped in in different areas really so it was around creating dashboards to help event organizers understand what events were performing well in their portfolio where they needed to improve exhibitor retention or sponsor retention and then later on we went even more specialist and developed pricing analytics so again where are you performing well where have you got opportunity to improve and and you you know as i'm saying this you'll see just how much I've been able to draw on that when designing inclusivity.
1: Yeah, so interestingly. Um- It was, again, yourself and Andrew that founded Clusivity. Yes.
0: What
1: what was the reason behind kind of breaking away from Smart Expo and forming Clusivity? How did that come about? Yes,
0: yes, yes. You'll see it and the listeners will (laughs) be able to see very quickly that I've kept it in the family and and, (laughs) in a lot of my career steps. And I think that's quite familiar to some people, you know, so much of the world of work Revolves around trust and 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 you know building relationships and and that really has been how I've made each step in my career is is people who've known me and trusted me have have wanted to work with me more and so when setting up Clusivity it, it was a real. Oh, it was a really emotional moment in time for so many of us. It was 2020. We were living through a pandemic with so much uncertainty. So, you know, myself as well as so many of us in the events industry and other parts of the labour market really had no idea what work was going to look like after, after the pandemic. And at the same time, we were all reeling from and reckoning with the the racism and the particular racial violence that we were all witnessing happening in the United States with the murder of George Floyd and so Andrew and I were reflecting a lot and spending a lot of time thinking about well what can we do what role can we play in this fight for racial justice at a time when yeah <laughs> We did have we did have a lot of time to think. And so it started when we were reading LinkedIn posts of especially black professionals in the events mm-hmm. industry like Michael Adenia, like Michaela Mayer, talking openly about their experiences of racism in the UK and at work. And Andrew and I set ourselves the task of actually doing the data analysis behind this. What does our industry look like? where do we have racial diversity and as we found out where do we lack a lot of racial diversity
1: so what was it telling you what what did you what were your first uh, your first signs um...
0: yeah i mean you you won't be surprised to know this and and listeners from the events industry won't be surprised to know this but we found absolutely no Le- senior leadership at the very top of our organizations from, from a minoritized ethnic background. And when we broaden that lens to look at senior leadership teams more broadly, so we're talking about hundreds of, of professionals at this point, again, absolutely none from a uh, minoritized ethnic background, except for one mm-hmm. in a US-based organizer um, and and here I'm talking mainly US, UK, Europe mm-hmm. based. Uh, the, the Chinese organisers, um, yeah, have, have different challenges. What we did this year is actually refreshed that data analysis. And we published a white paper interviewing a number of senior leaders as well. And what we found, Mike, is that, you know, there are still no black or minoritized ethnic CEOs. Uh, two black and minoritized ethnic senior leaders but no senior leaders from a minoritized ethnic background from 2 years ago are still in their role. Right.
1: Interesting. So our
0: <laughs> our research really shone a light not only just on the lack of diversity at the top but even when we do manage to find a bit of ethnic diversity those professionals their organizations are not managing to retain them. Yeah. So there's a real story to be told about why why we're not promoting a diverse group of people and then also why we are not retaining a diverse group of talent.
1: So tell me with with inclusivity has, has the main focus then been on race and ethnicity?
0: No. No, we we take quite a holistic view on diversity actually because we feel fundamentally that you can't take a siloed view on these things it's not how it's not how people identify and importantly it's not how bias and barriers operate either so when we work with a client we gather data on people's race ethnicity on their gender as well as their sexual orientation their disability or health condition and their socioeconomic background. We ask about caring responsibilities. We ask about religion. And within each of these, we avoid the the typical ways of asking for diversity, which, you know, I find and you probably find to be quite quite reductive, quite simplistic. You know, we really give people the chance to self-describe in inclusive ways, but give employers the tools to use that data in a meaningful way
1: great so just coming on to the actual the how part of the data collection, yeah because <laughs> i know that you know depending on which country you're collecting this data that there are many different uh, rules in terms of what you can collect what you can't yes um and also how you can do it what you do with the data how it's stored etc yes. yes how do
0: you yes. manage yes. to
1: provide a solution for you know many different countries
0: well you'll hear from the tone in my voice that (laughs) this is the bit of the conversation that i love (laughs) because andrew and i you know we came from a data background and we know just how important it is to be experts on the nitty gritty the the weeds of of this data collection um and crucially we know our clients don't want to (laughs) so Mm -hmm. i can only tell you the relief on people's faces on hr leaders and people leaders uh the relief on their faces when i say you know you don't need to learn all of this we we know all of this we know what questions you can ask in different countries. we know where you need your do- your data to be saved um, we know what's legal what's not legal but we also know a lot about the cultural norms that surround this kind of data gathering so you can't just go in to an office in a in a for a German company and expect people to feel psychologically safe. To disclose their race or their ethnicity in an anonymous way and we know it's <laughs> not legal to ask it in a non-anonymous way so we really work with clients to understand where their employees are what their goals are and then how to approach this exercise in a legal co- legally compliant way and an inclusive way that really gets you the results you're looking for in order to be able to take action. It's oh it's so much more than just a process, you know, it's so much more than a tick box exercise. There's real work involved in the cons, how to roll this out, what you need to say, and also what you need to be put in place to be compliant.
1: So so basically what I hear you say is that inclusivity do all the real heavy lifting behind the the legalities and, you know, creating the survey and, and pushing that out and getting it.
0: That's uh, completely right. That's completely right. And we know how important that is. You know, mm. we know that the people we're talking to have a million and one roles and responsibilities and DEI is, you know, one of many things, you know, I'd say it's the most important, but everything's <laughs> the most important. <laughs> and so we really are that partner who does the heavy lifting, who knows the subject in depth, and who makes your life as, as easy and as pain free as possible by designing the questions, providing the tools and and yeah, and reassuring you that that this is the right way of doing it.
1: Excellent. But as an employee, and I know that I've filled in many employee surveys in, in my uh-huh. time, and I know that. Uh, many colleagues, particularly those uh, from an ethnic background or those from the OBG
0: mm-hmm. community,
1: are reluctant to provide certain elements of their identity and and background how How have you managed to to overcome this? what types of messages do you provide that would give employees confidence to actually provide the data you're looking for?
0: Again, I love where this conversation is because so many organisations right now are struggling with the fact that, well, we tried to do a diversity data campaign, but so few of our employees decided to participate or share their ethnicity or share their sexual orientation. And, you know... uh, I'm glad, I'm glad that organisations are are addressing this and looking at those low disclosure rates as a problem, because it points to the fact that this is data that you as an employer need to earn and not expect. So we approach this in, in two ways, or more than two ways, but two important ways. We train senior leaders to understand the principles of psychological safety what it is that you are trying to build and cultivate and why it's so important, how it's ultimately going to benefit your business in a, a huge amount if you truly cultivate a psychologically safe workplace. And secondly, we provide you know uh, a workshop for employees entitled mm-hmm. Why should I fill it in? (laughs) And we talk, you know, uh, we talk on a level with employees. This is why your organization are are gathering this data. This is what they're going to do with it. This is why they're working with Clusivity as a third-party provider. And this is how you can hold them to account for the promises they make to you. Now, employers listening to this might get a little nervous. (laughs) But Mike, you know, it's what I believe in. I believe that this is, this is important work that needs to be done right. And importantly, we can help you do it. <laughs> we don't just leave you to interpret the data on your own and figure out what to do. We help you put together that action plan that really, like I said, really, really, really will help your business in, in so many ways.
1: That's great. Uh, typically, with the data, and you know, data is very important. A key thing to having good data is then being able to do something with it.
0: Absolutely. Um, with
1: the clients you're working with, what what types of things are they doing with this data? How are they using oh, it?
0: Great. It's such it's such a variety, you know, because that's what data allows. It points you in a different direction based on. The real needs and challenges that 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 you've got, and so oh, it's a big range. One client of ours, we flagged up in the in the exercise that employees don't don't know how to report issues uh, when they experience them, don't know how to step in when they see uh, you know microaggressions and negative microbehaviors taking place, and don't feel a strong sense of safety that they won't face negative experiences, consequences if they do raise an issue. Again, people listening to this might, might feel a little nervous hearing me say that, but it is so actionable. All they've had to do is find, uh, well, they found a partner to help them introduce a new model of conflict resolution and dispute resolution that is genuinely inclusive, and they're co-creating that with their employees. It's an amazing program. Another client of ours is putting in a new and inclusive parental leave policy that covers non-traditional family formations, is more gender balanced, that doesn't just cover, you know, um, the leave, but also how to keep your employees on parental leave engaged supporting them in their career progression throughout another employee is looking at yeah more in-depth microaggression training in an e-learning module that they're incorporating into their employee onboarding so that people are just much more aware of what offensive language is and how to be Mm -hmm. more yeah how uh, to be more sensitive to issues taking place. So it's it's a mix of training, it's a mixture of policies, it's a mixture of new processes. And one client, and then I'll stop there, is really launching a new career progression trajectory for, for employees that's all about transparency, transparency, transparency. You know, <laughs> we want employees to know what they've got to do and how they can get there. And we want that to be equally accessible for everybody no matter their background no matter um how they've how they've ended up there which is key especially if you take the other step they're taking which is dropping college degree requirements for 90% mm-hmm. of their jobs so it's oh mike i could go on and mm-hmm. on nice. and on about the different actions that our clients are putting in place
1: now that's 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 great now it's funny because i i've been in in the events industry, you know, coming up to to four years. And at least Mm. one of the things I found is the industry itself is quite a fascinating industry to work in. Mm. I believe it's extremely diverse when you think of the fact that there are events that are run in every corner of the world, in every industry that exists. So on the whole, or on the outside looking in, I would say extremely diverse, but I guess... The work you're doing is looking within the industry where it sounds like there is still a long way uh, to go.
0: That's right. And, you know, I've had the same experience as you, Mike. I I love the events industry because I really do. I meet incredible people from all walks of life and all, mm. um, all different backgrounds. And so, yes, we are we're helping those organisers in some cases just gather the data to support the fact that they've actually got a very diverse workforce and help them communicate that out to their communities, to their attendees, to their, you know, uh, their potential candidates. So some of it is really celebrating you know, what we're doing well, and then identifying areas for improvement so that they really retain the talent that they're investing in. And so ultimately, hopefully, we see a bit more diversity at the top, you know, Mm -hmm. numbers, (laughs) numbers don't lie, numbers, are especially representation data, it's key. It's a really important marker to tell us, yes, we're a diverse and inclusive organisation, but are we supporting everybody yeah. to reach, you know, reach the top? So yeah, it, it is definitely that exercise, and it's worth saying, you know, we're not just working with events companies. We, we work with a broad range, and within events, we're not just working on employee diversity either. We're starting to roll out tools to help event directors measure the diversity of their attendees, their exhibitors, mm. their sponsors. Because it's all about, you know, making sure we reflect the communities we serve in a, in all the different ways that mm. we can.
1: Great. And and as a company, um, you know, I talk a lot about the events industry and it's great that you're you're working outside of the industry as well and, and growing. Um, how are Clusivity performing within the events industry? There are so many different events organizers out there and event mm-hmm. venues and event suppliers uh, how, how are you actually progressing since the company kind of got going
0: you know we've been uh, we've been really oh, we found ourselves with working with incredibly supportive organizations across the across the industry's landscape and so we were fortunate enough to be invited to speak at The SISO CEO Summit um, a couple of months ago, where we shared some of the data that we found, and again some of the strategies and and actions that our clients are putting in place. I'm speaking at the UFI HR Forum and European Conference and Women in exhibition Summit this June, and I'm sharing, you know, I'm sharing our experiences of working with event services companies, event organisers. and so uh, it feels, you know, it feels like the, the industry want this, you know, Mike. <laughs> it feels like the industry want help. And, and I just, I'm so glad that I, I'm able to provide it.
1: Fantastic. Um, now tell me then, as you're, as you're growing, what, what is the, what's the vision for Clusivity? Where do you see the company in, you know, in the next couple of years?
0: Oh, you know, I just want every single company in the world to be using it. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> well, actually, you know, what what we really want to do in the next two years is build a brand that is known for being the most trusted DEI data and analytics company. And we want to be trusted by employees as the tool that they want to they want to participate in. They want to share their information and their experiences with us because we ask in the right way and we do things with their data. And then we want to be trusted by employers as the go-to partner that really helps them make change where they want to and reach their DEI goals. There are a lot of DEI providers out there, you know, you know, as well as I do. And we what i want inclusivity to be what i want employees to find in us that they don't find elsewhere elsewhere is a trusted partner that actually helps them make change um, and so i don't know if that if that's enough of a concrete vision for you oh, but that's, that's <laughs> our you know that's our north star it's that question yeah. of trust do people trust us
1: mm-hmm.
0: to share their data and help make them cha- and help make them make change
1: fantastic now I have been checking out your LinkedIn profile a little bit oh. <laughs> um, one of the things that I've seen is you're also working and this is outside of inclusivity but you're working on a, a project called a history of everyone else
0: can that's you explain right. what
1: that's about that sounds uh, very interesting
0: oh well it's it's a real it's a real passion area of mine it's a project with a, a very good friend of mine from university called Rihanna Ilube, who is an incredibly talented playwright. Um, you will, you know, if you haven't heard of her yet, trust me. In a few years' time, <laughs> you'll be queuing up to see her to see oh, her wow. plays in the West End. And and what we do is we we get together and we pick uh, a moment in in history, which we feel we learn a bit about at school. Mm-hmm but we're sure that there is a story there from an anti-colonial lens that we did not learn about that we were not taught. And so for instance we've taken the Mau Mau uh the Mau Mau conflict the Mau Mau revolution in Kenya and we remember learning, you know, oh yeah there was a there was a revolt that the British uh that the British defeated, and you know, because the the Kenyans weren't quite ready for for independence yet. Well, okay, <laughs> <laughs> what on earth is going on there? So we take the time to learn about uh, the. The dissent, the, the counter movements, the counter protests, the what 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 really was going on? Who was fighting who and what were they fighting for? And then we share that in a YouTube channel uh with with listeners and subscribers. And it's a real passion of mine, Mike, because I just we do not learn the full story. We learn yeah. such a small segment of, of a in particular British history but but all kinds of all kinds of uh, you know colonial histories and I just think I just think you'll understand the world so much more when you understand what really led us here
1: that is very interesting it almost sounds like it could be a a great way to educate the school curriculum and uh...
0: oh I would love that oh I would (laughs) love that Yeah. uh you know and in the meantime you know everybody i know is you know and we're all about lifelong learning aren't we so even long past school people are, people are hungry to keep keep learning so it's uh, it, it's something you're gonna you're gonna see me continue to do throughout my life i feel so strongly in the mm. power of unpacking history from a from an anti-racist anti-colonial lens
1: excellent so, Mira, we're coming up to the end of the show. Um, is there anything else you would like to add or or say?
0: Oh well, you know, thank you so much for for inviting me on to have this chat. It was, you know, you uh, you let me think a little bit about my in my career history and my background in a way <laughs> that I haven't done in a while. So I'm grateful to you for that. Grateful to you for your ongoing support. Just. Uh, you know, if any of your listeners are interested in learning more, please go to the Clusivity website, get in touch with me on LinkedIn. I really am uh, curious to keep learning more and more about people's challenges in this space and and meet more and more people wanting to make change.
1: Fantastic. Well, I wish you every success with the work you're doing with Clusivity. Um, data is is one of those very rare assets. I think that you know we we don't have enough of at times. Sometimes we have too much, but we don't know what mm-hmm. to do with it. Yeah. Other times we we don't have enough of it um, to make the real meaningful decisions to drive change and you know and influence behavior. And I think that Clusivity are are beginning to provide that, which is which is absolutely fantastic. So. Thank you, Mike. I wish you every success and uh, look forward to seeing where inclusivity lands over the next couple of years.
0: Oh, thank uh, you. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much for this conversation.
1: No, no worries. Thank you. Bye for now. Bye
0: for listening to this episode of Diversity Matters. If you liked what you heard, then be sure to hit like and subscribe. And we'll see you next time.